This is the Reclaiming Families podcast. It is our goal to expose the lies that undermine, erode, and destroy the family while discovering and reclaiming God's design for gender, marriage, family, and sexuality. So join us for open conversation about the struggles and joys of reclaiming families. Hey, hey, hey. Thanks for listening to another episode of Reclaiming Families. We're so glad that you are with us. And and hey, we're trying to grow this thing. Um, so if you have found any kind of encouragement from anything that you've listened to, or if you know, you're trying to reclaim your own family just like we are, or you know somebody that is wanting to grow in in their own family, then we would ask that you would share this podcast with with them, Um, that you would share some of the resources on our website, maybe uh, give our Instagram a little follow. And again, our Instagram is at Reclaiming Families. Our website is reclaimingfamilies.org. And you can also find our podcast on all kinds of like I think like the top six or, or something like that podcast platforms. So if you are looking for reclaiming families, it's easy to find. Please, please, please go out and share it all around. Um, we're having a good time talking to a bunch of different people. And tonight we have another great episode for you. All right. We are back with Dr. Humphreys. And last week she gave us a lot of information about trafficking, what it is, and how specifically how it affects Gen Zs. We're saying that Gen Zs are the most susceptible generation to be trafficked. And this week, we're going to go into a little bit more specific details for parents and raising Gen Zs. Yeah. And just a, a quick little recap, uh, Dr. Humphreys ended last week with talking about how, you know, the Gen Z world is just a different world. Um and us as millennials struggling to figure out how to parent this this new generation that has really been completely infiltrated with technology. And so, Dr. Humphreys, we'd like to say welcome back. Thank you so much for being on another episode of Reclaiming Families. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So, um, going back, we can pick up on some of the things we talked about last week or what we were getting into but what would you say are some of the biggest things that you believe is important for parents to know about their Gen Z children um, and even their susceptibility to being trafficked? Okay. Um, so first of all, I don't think parents, millennials per se, um, realize the impact that technology has had mm-hmm. um, our kids we're not just talking about them laying their life out there and telling everybody everything and having no boundaries. We're talking about really affecting developmental things related to childhood um, relationships. There are a lot of areas that it has affected. And I don't really think parents realize what technology has done to our society. And it's a great tool and but we gotta we gotta know how to use it properly. We need to have good boundaries there. We need to have uh, good parenting skills and be able to monitor these things and know what our kids are on. You know, a lot of millennials, while they kind of get, you know, us older millennials, I don't know about you young ones, <laughs> it's like don't get on anything other than like Facebook, you know, and everybody's like on Snapchat and they're, you know, they're all on this other stuff. Um, and you know, us older millennials don't really. We don't really know about 
all that other stuff that's going on. So it's about really educating yourself. Um, I'll kind of speak to some of, you know, some of the research that I did and what it, what it found on technology. So some of the, the effects that technology has on this young generation is, first of all, their social skills. You know, we kind of all know uh, that it's affecting our social skills and how they communicate with other people. But some of the interesting things that I found is when I was talking to these school counselors and I, I talked to a lot, I would say 12 or 13 different school districts, um, we're not talking about one school district or one area, like it was multitudes of places, and it was uh, elementary all the way through high school. And I heard the exact same thing from all of them, which was really fascinating. Um, a lot of data to foam through, but just the fact that everybody was telling me the exact same thing. So technology, um, social skill wise, I was having school counselors say that, that, you know, they, they don't understand how to even ask a girl out on a date. Like a, a boy can't even, like, he's so scared of it. You know, it's yeah. like, well, can I just text her? Or can't I just ask her over, you know, over this social media platform or whatever? And, you know, the school counselors literally teaching these kids social skills. They don't know how to interact. They can't look people in the eye when they shake their hand. They have so much anxiety that they have provoked from an adult going and just saying, nice to meet you or whatever, you know, that they won't look at people. It's, it's really stress provoking. They, they have so much stress in their lives. Um, and a lot of it's just because they don't know how to communicate with people. They don't know how to sit next to somebody and have a conversation. Um, they, they're really brave, you know, behind that computer yeah. and they're able to say whatever they want to say without any ramifications really. And then they sit there and watch on who's going to like their comment or who's going to comment something poorly. They get their self-esteem from the technology. Yeah. And I know like we're talking about social skills and you were mentioning just developmental and, um, but this is a side note, but at our, you know, we have almost a one-year-old and our pediatrician mm -hmm. has even recommended that she not be exposed to a screen no. for two years. And so mm -hmm. is like on top of just the social skills, like, can you speak into anything that's like, I mean, what's happening in the brain with all this mm -hmm. technology? Okay, so, you know, technology at a, before the age of two has been linked to ADHD and, you know, a bunch of different disorders later on and mental health issues. Um, it's because they're not really able to process those things yet. So at in infancy, they're learning your basic skills. You know, how do we eat properly? Um, how do we communicate to mom and dad? And so just having those flashing lights in front of their, their eyes really is overstimulating for them. It causes stress. And when a baby is overstimulated, um, they will start exhibiting kind of signs of anxiety as young as they are. Wow. Um, there'll be a lot of crying. There'll be a lot of, you know, attention-seeking behavior. And so it's just having those little like flashes of light that's overstimulating for their brain. They're not ready. You know, they can't even focus. A little baby that's just born can't even focus with their eyes, which is why you see them, you know, often be cross-eyed yeah. into a certain age. And so they're just, their brains are not prepared for all of that information. It's too much. And, you know, it's, we're seeing schools who are telling me that kindergartners are not able to jump or skip like they're supposed to, because they sit in front of 
of technology or their, you know, their iPad or their Kindle, mom and dad's whatever all day long. And so they go to school and their gross motor skills, even their fine motor skills, um, learning to color or write are inhibited by these things. So we're seeing people in schools saying that we are hindering our kids from really developing their motor skills because we're sticking them in front of these devices um, from right away. Yeah. It's like the, the American Academy of Pediatrics says there's between the age of six to 12, it's like 90%, 90% of American households allow their six to 10 year old to have technology alone in their bedroom. Hmm. That's, that's huge. That's a, it should be a huge red, red flag to parents um, for them to have this access at such a young age. So what would you say is like, you know, if, I mean, you can, you know, you don't have to tell us how you parent your children, but what would you say is probably like, consider what amount of, you know, technology with your kids? Like how do I put a phone in front of my little girl, you know, after two years so that mom and I can have a conversation or, you know, what? What are you? Oh, what are your so thoughts? my my thoughts on phones is no phone ever, um, and you know, this is not even this is nothing to do with research or whatever. But I personally know moms who have let their child be on the phone, and them accidentally get into pornographic sites. Right, they're nine and ten years old um, on accident. And, you know, well, I guess it is, it does have to do with research. Cause I think, uh, well, a 12 year old that I worked with was already addicted to pornography, um, at 12 years old. So he, he couldn't put it down and they caught him at school with it. Um, so I had, I think every school counselor reported, uh, teenagers looking at pornography at school. And so, you know, they were addicted to it, like uh, getting their cell phones taken away and then then borrowing their friends at school so they could watch the pornography at school, like an actual pornography addiction. And the 12 year old that I counseled for, I guess I was with him for maybe six months or so. um, He was very addicted to pornography. I mean, it was he had anxiety, panic attacks when he was not able to watch it. It was um, really heartbreaking to watch yeah. uh, but it's because he got it from his older 15 year old brother got him involved yeah. in that and mom and dad had no idea that they were watching this stuff on their cell phones so well you know just to clarify so you said no cell phones ever like you know are you gonna well you know, gonna get I a mean, cell phone like when they're a teenager yeah, yeah they okay. have a cell phone but as a child um i would say no cell phone especially a little kid no cell phone um, but if you can get a teenager a cell phone and, you know, all they have is, you know, they have certain restrictions on them, you can get phones that have a restricted access on it. Yeah. And so take it away at night before they go to bed, have them put it in addition in the kitchen or whatever it may be. Um, but other technology wise, you know, two years old, that's that's pretty much when we can watch something no more than 30 minutes. Um, and you monitor, yeah, I mean, you have to even watch the kids stuff on PBS, you know, yeah, you have no idea. Yeah. You have like authors, teacher, 
um, on PBS, like having a gay marriage now, you know? I know. No, yeah, I know. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's a... like my daughter, you know, she was like real into Doc McStuffins or whatever. And I was like, you can't watch Doc McStuffins anymore. So it's, it's like, you got to really, you got to really know what your kids are watching. You can't just sit them in front of the TV and not know, you know, what's on there yeah and so. so here's a quick little plug real quick there's a phone called or like a service called gab wireless and it's like a smartphone so mm -hmm. your kid can still look cool they got a camera a calculator texting and phone calls but they can't do anything i think it's like 20 dollars a month so anyone out there listening doesn't know what to get for their kid gab wireless has what all you need but here's a question for you so you know we say all the time, like, our kids are never getting cell phones until they're, like, 16, 18, I don't know, yeah. older teenagers. And people are like, yeah, good luck until, you know, they start asking for it. And then you're going to want to get them a phone because they're going to be begging you for it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you sound like you have pretty hard boundaries on that as well. Um, and your kids are, like, we have a one-year-old, so your kids are older than ours. Mm -hmm. um, when people maybe say something like, oh, yeah, well you'll change your mind when they start begging for it and everybody makes your life easier. What do you say to people like that? You, I mean, you're the mom and dad, like that's your responsibility. Like you have been put on this earth to take care of them and make sure that they're safe. So that's, that's kind of just being a responsible parent. Sometimes you're not their friend. And yeah. part of the reason why we have issues is because mom and dad try to be, try to be more of a friend than mom and dad yeah that's good um now on this note of parenting I've heard you talk a little bit about a term that you use called lawnmower parenting and I'm familiar with the term yeah. helicopter parenting mm -hmm. um but could you tell us a little bit about lawnmower parenting and helicopter parenting mm -hmm. okay so oh, wait, actually uh, hold on helicopter, he wants yeah, to say can, something can I, first. yeah I, was, I wanted to back up the technology uh, okay just a quick second so yeah there is all these different apps you got you know uh, you know instagram and facebook and snapchat mm -hmm. and what what's the tiktok tiktok and so all these apps and so what would you say like you know if your kid is in public school Right, and they're exposed to all you know, all these other kids have all these apps, and and that's kind of like community is done on these apps, right? All these friendships, mm -hmm. and so you know, your kid is kind of he's definitely in the minority. You don't want him to be the loser kid. Yeah, well, I mean, mm -hmm. it's not necessarily like I'm. It's like if, if it's protecting her, I don't care if she's a loser for a little <laughs> bit, you know. And so, mm -hmm. but uh, but yeah, so how do you manage? How do you manage that? How does a parent manage, um, you know, if they say, or do they say, hey, no, no social media or certain hours of social media that we, you know, what do you think is wisdom in that? So if, if, if you're like a parent who's really just set on you think your child is okay to have technology, my advice to you is to only allow them to do it in your presence. So it's like, yeah, you can sit here at, at the kitchen bar or whatever while I'm cooking dinner and you can talk to your friends or whatever it may be, but just make sure that you are present and then give them time limits. So that's a huge, huge deal is time limits. You know, like even, even when you want to do like a kid's Kindle, 
So like my daughter has a kid's Kindle, but she can call me. So that's kind of her, her no phone. You know, some of her friends have phones. She's 10, um, but she has a kid's Kindle and she can call other people on our, on our Amazon account um, that I allow her to call. So she calls me and my husband and she can call the kitchen. Um, that's, that's about it. Yeah. So she can call from her little Kindle and we give time limits on them. So she, you know, has her 20 minutes or whatever, and then she's off of it. And she also uses it kind of just when we're physically present together. And those are some of the boundaries that I said is we're not going to go in our room and hang out and be by ourselves in there for two hours on Facebook or whatever it may be. It's about really saying, okay, you can use this, but if you're going to use it, these are the boundaries we set in place for our household. You know, you're going to use it for this amount of time, this time of day, you know, after your homework is done. So make sure that they're getting stuff done first and make sure that they know the limits, because if you allow them to have it before you set the limits, you're never going to be able to set the limits. So before they even get it, make sure you say, this is, these are the conditions on you having this device. This is when we do it. This is where we do it. And this is how we are able to do it. That's good. And make sure that you have parent access to Facebook. Also, you know, uh, kids messenger is monitored by the parent's Facebook account. So there's the, I, I don't know. A lot of people don't know about kids messenger. Yeah. I don't know about it. Yeah. I don't either. Oh yeah. So it's, it's newer. It's maybe been around a year or so, but it's uh, Facebook's way of giving parents access to their kids' Facebook pages. You have complete control. You set up their profile, you approve their friend list. Um, and you can also say if someone can communicate back and forth with your child, and then they have a kid's messenger app. And every time they talk to somebody, you are alerted that that person communicated with your child. So there is technology out there. I just feel like not enough parents research these things and know about kind of safer, yeah, safer ways to do things. Even like with, with the kids, Kendall, I looked forever, you know, and a lot of parents will just give them their adult iPad. Yeah. And here you go. But the kids, Kendall, um, you can control so much on that and everything is done from a parent dashboard. And so, you know, it's a little complicated, but it's worth keeping your kids safe for you to just sit there and be able to look at what they're looking at. If, you know, she does not have internet access, but I can give her internet access on it um, with certain sites. So it limits and only gives permission to sites that I allow her to go on. Um, so yeah, it takes kind of some time and effort and it's a little frustrating getting to know these technology pieces, but it's well worth keeping your child safe. Their little minds are not quite ready to process this information. Yeah. And gotcha. thank you. That makes me think too before, and then we'll go back to the lawnmower thing, lawnmower parenting thing. But that even makes me think, so not only is the content too much for them to handle, but mm -hmm. almost like the amount of content is too much to handle. And, you know, mm -hmm. you mentioned, I can't remember if it was this week or last week, you mentioned the mental health and Gen Z's and um, mm -hmm. anxiety. Gosh, it's huge for this generation. And so, I mean, do you think that that's just, not being able to turn off your brain because you, you know, immediately have access to so many of your friends as soon as you wake up, maybe 
some kids are on their phone till the wee hours of the night. And do you see that oh, portraying yeah. into anxiety? Oh, it absolutely plays into it. And especially because they find their self-esteem through how many friends they have and, you know, who's going to comment and what are they going to say on my social media post? Um, People who comment on social media posts, it's like you get good comments and then you get some really horrible stuff on there. Yeah. And not being able to turn that off and constantly hear negativity. Um, it's you just as a human being are not meant to carry a burden of what every single person on this earth thinks about you. Right. Um, and it's a, it's really a burden. It's a burden for them to sit there and, and, you know, they also don't know who's their friend and who's not. They have 2000 friends on social media. Many of them have thousands of friends. Um, and they don't know them. They're just people who are on there. They have no idea if it's a predator. They have no idea um, who these people are on their social media. But because they have so many friends, they feel like they're popular. A lot of the kids that I've counseled teenager-wise will say, well, I'm so popular. All my friends tell me this and that about me. But then when we really dig down deep into who they have relationships with, they don't really have any. Yeah. Or at least how we would define a relationship, you know, um, someone who comes and hangs out with you and supports you in times of trouble or, you know, like not real solid friendships. They're not supportive people. They're people who are just there to comment and turn on you in an instant because they don't like what you have to say that day. Right. There's they don't have a support system. They don't have a core foundation of their personal self-esteem and their worth. Yeah, You know, and it makes me think too, like, if that's the case, then you really have no choice but to go with the narrative that's being put out in social media. Whatever your friends are saying, you can never really just stand against that, you know, and shove it because you don't have any friends that are going to really support you and have your back. You know, whether you agree or disagree, they're going to, yeah, it's, I, I just see how, or I, man, I'm not saying, but it just seems like. Jeepers, if that's the case, you're just, you know, blown every which way. Um, yeah, kind of walking on eggshells. Well, that's right, walking on eggshells all the time. Yeah, and, and that's a hard life to live. I mean, yeah. Now think about it. And when they are getting bullied, bullying looks so different. You know, it's like if you were bullied in school when I was young, you go home, the bully stays. They go home too. Right. Nobody's bothering you. You know, nobody's going to call you on your, your phone with your big cord at your house. Like, that's not, that's, that's not how it works, but they don't leave their bullies at school. Yeah. Bullies come home. And so it's constantly, they are constantly having to process this negativity and it, it's just a hindrance on their mental health, on their self-esteem, on anything that they feel about themselves and they start looking to other people, strangers, for their identity. And that's not where they should be looking. Yeah. And that makes them susceptible to sex trafficking, is what we're saying. It right? absolutely does. Because guess what? Somebody who's a predator in that 2,000 friends starts talking to them privately. And all of a sudden they're saying, you're worth something. I can give this to you. You're beautiful. And they build this relationship and coerce them 
and they groom them because it's, that's what we say they do is they groom them. And all of a sudden they trust them. Yeah. Sure. Go meet me at the mall, you know? Gotcha. That's good. Wow. So I guess kind of summing up what you've said about technology, some of your major recommendations is before it even enters the house, go ahead and in advance, clearly communicate about boundaries. Mm -hmm. And then some of the boundaries that you're recommending is to only be able to use that technology in the presence of the parents and having a time mm -hmm. limit, like maybe 30 minutes at a time or, or something mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. So. Yeah. You just need to be aware of what they're doing. You know, you don't want your child to sit there and find themselves in social media. They really need to find that from, from mom and dad. That's they need good. to find that from their household support system. You know, um, it's like they're looking, love and belonging is the biggest culprit of sex trafficking. That's what makes them so vulnerable. They're looking to belong. They're looking to be loved. They're looking for someone to give them something that they don't have. That's good. Yeah. yeah. Because everybody wants to be loved. Everybody wants mm -hmm. to belong and in a healthy family that would be found within the walls of your home. So absolutely. That's good. So going back. Yeah. Let's move on. Um, tell us a little bit, and, and this is kind of moving in. You've used the term responsive parenting, but before we get into that, I want to talk about the lawnmower parenting and the helicopter yeah. parenting, because mm -hmm. I've heard you talk about it before. And I think it's really interesting. Some of the points that you made. So tell us about that. Okay. So we know a lot about helicopter parenting and that's because that is when we're referring to helicopter parenting, that is how millennials were parented. So you're talking about, um, you know, the baby boomers or generation X and their parenting styles. And we call them, helicopter parenting. What that really is, is the parent hovers over the kid, makes sure that everything's kind of going okay. So whether it be in school, whether it be with athletics, whatever, whatever that is, they're hovering to make sure everything's okay, right? And so if something goes wrong and the child has a need, they'll swoop down, you know, help them out, kind of push them a little bit forward so that they can get it done, um, give them what they need, and then they can accomplish or do whatever it is that they need to do, whether it be school or whatever. So that's kind of what we mean by helicopter parenting. But we have seen a transition and we're seeing millennials parent now and they're parenting Gen Z. And so now what we are seeing, there's two ways of calling it. You can either call it lawnmower parenting or you can call it the snowplow parent. So I've, I've heard it kind of described both ways, but maybe it's according to where you live. Yeah. So I don't know. Um, but I've heard it both ways. So what this is, is a millennial parenting pre-paves the way for a child. So whatever it is that they need to do, like get into college. Well, we don't want them to have to work too hard. So we're going to go ahead and pave the way and make everything look pretty on paper so that then when they apply to college, then it's everything's in place. Everything's good. So they're pre-paving the way rather than hovering and swooping in need. They are paving the way. So the kid never has to do the bulk of the work. It's keeping our kids from getting coping skills. They are not able to fail. They don't know what it's like to fail. And because of that, we are seeing these huge, our suicide rate is it's just astronomical in our teenagers. Um, 
you know, I worked with an eight-year-old girl who had tried to kill herself three times already, um, drowning herself in a bathtub. That was one of the girls that I had worked with um, in my previous job. And so it's, we're just seeing huge suicidal rates. They cannot handle all the things that we throw at them in life Hmm. because we are not teaching them how to cope with life. Yeah. Cause like, it sounds like they could handle it if they could cope, right? Like, you know, you should be able to handle it, but Mm -hmm. because of your parenting, you know, I was saying, I was laughing um, when I was, you know, when Ellie, when our little girl was first born and she couldn't hold her head up, right. She just, you know, she's so weak, you know, she's a you know week old, you know, whatever it is. And, and she couldn't hold her head up and I was just watching her. And I just wanted so bad to just pick her head up. You know, I'm going to hold her, supporting her, <laughs> but it's like, you know, I'm watching her try to lift her head off my chest. So her head's mm-hmm. supported. She's not, you know, not hurt or anything. But she's just struggling to do it. And I just thought, if I just hold her head up, you know, she'll get what she wants and voila. And then I started thinking about it. It's like, but if she doesn't struggle, she'll never build those muscles. Mm-hmm. And I was like, the most loving thing I could do right now is to just let my little girl struggle. And you know what? She yeah. learned to hold her head up. And uh, even now, like when she's trying to walk and I'm like, you know, what? I should probably, you know, keep her from falling, you know, hitting the floor real mm-hmm. hard. But then also at the same time, I'm like, well, if she doesn't hit the floor hard, she's not going to learn. And it, so it's this battle between like, cause I, I don't want her to fall real far, but you know, I can't, I don't want to keep her from ever falling. So I don't know. It's a struggle in my heart to how much do I interfere and, and even, let her fail. And, more and more and more as your kid gets older and it's geez, like their failures are bigger deals. Yeah. Right? It's not just falling and getting a little red bump on your head for a second. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, yeah, but, you know, when we're talking about coping skills and kind of goes along with that, it starts that age. It starts right when they're born learning these coping skills. And I mean, obviously, you know, we don't want to harm our child and we want to give them, they need to be nurtured and loved and all those things, you know, uh, but we also have to teach them to learn how to pick themselves back up when they do fail. And it starts as young as you can think. Like even, even if you're sitting there with a two or three-year-old and you buy them some Legos and they build something and it does not come out how they want it to, or the whole thing topples down, your first inclination of a parent is to just sit there and say, oh, I'll do it. Or if they're trying, you know, if they're learning to tie their shoe and they're at that stage and you're, you're sitting there and you see them struggle over and over, but they have not asked you for help. Your inclination is to say, let me help you. I'll do it for you. Yeah. Um, because it's hard, even with the little stuff to watch your kids sit there and struggle through something, but teaching them even at a young age that they are independent enough to accomplish something on their own, tying their shoe or, you know, waiting, mom, will you help me? Then you say, okay, I can help. That's good. Uh, but let them struggle and let them, let them, let them give you the, the, the advice to help. Let them tell you when it's time to help. That's good. Uh, let them rebuild those blocks, how they wanted them. Um, and don't swoop in and do it for them. So, you know, as, as minor as that sounds, that's when we start building these coping skills. That's when little kids start learning, I can do things on my own. And they build really their self-confidence at two and at three, knowing that mom and dad are there if I need them to help. 
but I can still try and try and try and I'll eventually get it. And so that's when they learn life skills, two and three years old. Hmm. And these things apply all the way through adulthood. I think we blow things off, you know, as a little kid, but that's how they really learn. That's how they learn to cope with the hard stuff is that those little times when they're tying their shoe or they're building the blocks. Yeah, that's good. So it's like you're saying, you know, be there, be present, Mm -hmm. but don't just like be available, but don't just come intervene at any second your kid is like uncomfortable because a lot of times Mm -hmm. like they're trying to figure it out. And so to swoop in and save the day just lets them off easy. And it honestly, it sets them up on a bad trajectory for when it really matters later on in life. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, I mean, well, part of the developmental phase and why we call it the terrible twos and really gets bad at three. That's <laughs> just for your parents. Three is when when we really, really see the bad stuff. Um, but the whole reason why we see it is because internally, those little bodies are struggling between I want to do everything on my own, but I still need mommy and daddy to help me. Yeah. And Oh, it's, it's this battle and they don't know how to tell you that that's frustrating. And so you see these huge tantrums, um, but just allowing space for that frustration, um, telling them that it's okay, that they feel frustrated. You understand that that's frustrating for them. Um, really giving space, which is another problem with the mental health is that we don't give them space or teach them how to deal with those big feelings. Yeah. They have these huge emotions in little bitty bodies but we're not allowing, we're like, oh, don't cry. Or, you know, you need to move on. Why are we crying about this? But really saying, I understand why you're struggling right now. I know that's frustrating, but, you know, you can ask for my help at any time. Let them know you're there. Yeah. Yeah. I tell, I tell our little girl, like, oh, you're crying like a baby. So I probably need to quit that. I probably need to, you know. <laughs> she is a baby. She Just is a baby. Right that out. Out. <laughs> she is. Uh, so I'll, I'll quit. Um, mm-hmm. So in uh, some notes you sent us, you talked about responsive parenting. What's the, mm-hmm. is that the um, kind of like the, the opposite of helicopter parenting or, or what is responsive parenting? So responsive parenting is, is kind of really what you're talking about is just being responsive to your child. But kind of what I was talking about is letting them lead and telling them, letting them know, you know, that you're there for whatever it is they need. Um, but you have to do it according to their developmental stage. So you're not going to sit there and, and talk to your, your two or three year old, like you would talk to a 15 year old. You have to talk to them on their developmental level. Um, this may be a little bit big, but there's something that we call scaffolding and, um, scaffolding is a psychological term and, uh, by a researcher named Vygotsky and a lot of people who are work in the school system know a lot about Vygotsky, but scaffolding is when you provide aid to a student or just to a person, a child, and let's say with a math lesson. So you're helping them with the math first, you teach them how to do it. Right. Um, then you kind of do the next math problem with them. So you do it together. Then the next one, you let them try it by themselves. Hmm. So a period of when they need your help and they can do it on their own, that's scaffolding. That's when that time when we kind of figure out how much help do they need and when can I let go of it to let them do it on their own. That's good. Um, When you do responsive parenting, you want to make sure that you are doing things like physically 
getting on the floor with your child um, and playing. You're not sticking them in front of the computer, in front of the TV, but you're sitting there and you are doing uh, physical puzzles with their hands. You're teaching them how to catch a ball, but then you have to release that and you have to let them do those things on their own. So that's, that's that piece of knowing when to let go. Yeah. Uh, knowing when to let them do the things on their own. And kids will also tell you what they need. And I'll kind of give you an example of my own personal life. So the other day, um, my son was, you know, he's three, so he's in the terrible, terrible threes. And um, he, he starts crying because his 10 year old sister touched him. And it's just like a huge ordeal. And you kind of have to know that those feelings are not because sister touched him. There's so much more behind that. And I had been working a lot the past three days and didn't see much of him. And so I sat on the couch and he came over there and I was like, you know, is this really because sissy touched you or are you just really missing mama? And he just starts whimpering. It's because I missed mama, you know? And so it's, you know, it's knowing that sometimes those little feelings are under there and they're blowing up over something really big. Um, And that happens with teenagers too. So you kind of see that in the twos and threes and then you'll see it again in adolescence. So there's always an underlying thing, but they will tell you in other ways when they need your assistant. It's when they need to spend on maybe time just with dad. Maybe they need time just with mom. Maybe they need a little date with their older sibling. Um, maybe they need you to help them with their homework because you're busy and you don't realize that they're struggling with something. But really knowing that some of those feelings or some of those behaviors that you see that we would call bad behavior is there's something underlying there that's going on. And being able to say, okay, but what's really happening? And then being able to communicate with them on their level, what they're needing and fulfilling those needs as a parent, according to whether or not the child is three, according to whether they're 15 years old, but a 15 year old needs a different things than a three-year-old needs. Right. And so being able to adjust that according to their developmental age. So, so Dr. Humphrey, you mentioned, uh, so their, their age or developmental age, where's like a, what's a good resource for parents to look up and find out kind of what, you know, where, you know, what is the developmental age of my child? Uh, mm-hmm. or, or where should they be at certain ages? Like, is there a, is there a book out there that somebody's written or published that you can think off the top of your head or how would I find out kind of where my child should be? Okay. So if you look online and you can probably find this on just about any website, but if you look at like Eric Erickson, he's our, our big developmental guy that we talk about in um, kind of like the mental health profession um, and with, with psychology, but he really goes through the developmental stages um, and you can find other people who have websites on his work um, that really talk about, this is what my child is going through at this time. Like um, there's different stages like trust versus mistrust. Um, which is going to be in childhood. And that's really when they learn, can I trust this mom and dad to leave? And they're going to come back when I cry. Um, Those type of things. So knowing what their need is, you know, it's adolescence is when they're um, looking for their identity formation. They're trying to form their identity separate from mom and dad. And that's a big struggle, which is why we see those 
kind of younger looking tantrums in adolescence because they are they're trying to decide who am I separate from mom and dad separate from my friends and so that's hard because they want to be an adult but they're not yeah um, just those, those those same struggles I want to do it on my own there's also um, something called mirrored pacing that they can look up and mirrored pacing is um, a strategy and it's where you help your child learn to imitate play or use play to imitate things or imitate you. So you can do it with dolls and stuff like that, like um, imitate, you know, what they feel like a household should look like or, you know, what it's like to talk to a friend. Um, and they can do those things using toys and different kind of play stuff. So that's that's something that's often used um, within that. But there's there's a lot of research out there that you can find. Um, but really, I kind of suggest that Eric Erickson is really the foundational um, theorist when it comes to our developmental stages. And we've kind of stuck with him throughout the years. He's he's an old guy, but he's good. So yeah. you can find stuff on him online. And it's, it's kind of like, you know, from a Christian world in life, you both mirror pacing and those stages of development are just good guides for shepherding mm-hmm. and discipling our kids. And, and mm-hmm. even, you know, some prayer direction, you mentioned trust versus mistrust. And mm-hmm. it's like, if, if my daughter learns that I'm going to respond to her and that she can trust me, I'm kind of mm-hmm. priming her to be able to trust the Lord you know, hopefully Mm -hmm. place like her full trust in the Lord. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, and you know, when we talk about identity and adolescence, it's like, that's the Mm -hmm. prime time where it's really important that, you know, uh, an adolescent would be able to find their identity in Christ. So they're not, Mm -hmm. you know, swayed by all this, you know. Oh, yeah. And so it's really neat to just be able to go back and think, and, and, you know, and as people get older, they're wanting to know, like, have I, have I left a legacy or am I dying and left nothing behind? Mm-hmm. And so it even just gives us good prayer direction, kind of a, where should my kid be um, in, in shepherding <laughs> hearts and, and that mirror pacing, you know, I've heard can kind of let you in on, like, they might not be able to say what they're feeling, but a lot mm-hmm. of times, you know, they can play it out and then, let you know the parent in on oh my kid's feeling like this and they didn't necessarily tell me that Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. it's coming out in their play so oh yeah so there's I'll also say we kind of talked about setting boundaries um with different stuff in life or with your children what they should and should not do um Dr. Henry Cloud he wrote the book boundaries and so he's a Christian psychologist and um he, I heard him speak one time. He, I felt like he was speaking to me. Um, but he, he said that when he gets on an airplane, he never tells people he's a psychologist. He says uh, that he writes books about Jesus and then the people don't talk to him. So, <laughs> so he says, if I tell them as a psychologist, they'll have me diagnosing all their family members, which does happen. It oh, has yeah. happened to me. So don't ever tell people your mental health, Hillary. Well, it's funny. I used to work at a community mental health place here in Knoxville. And if you wore that name tag, everybody, like it's a name that everybody in this town knows. And if you wore that name tag anywhere in public, someone would tell you their entire life story. Like you had to take that thing off as soon as you left the office. Oh yeah. It's like, Oh, I have this, this, this child and they have this problem. Can you tell me what's wrong with them? And I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) You know, (laughs) they do stuff like that. 
No, but, but his book is great. He has one for kids too on parents setting boundaries with children. And so um, a lot of people know him for his normal boundaries book that talks about just setting boundaries with family and life and, you know, your friends and that type of thing. But he um, has stuff on parenting as well. And his stuff is really great. That's good. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, wrapping up, I, well, what were you we about to well, say? Well, I was going to say, I think, yeah, we got to start to wrap up here. Well, you know, we started this conversation off last week talking about, trafficking and Gen Z's. Today we've talked a lot about um, just parenting and Gen Z's. And so uh, it's kind of two different conversations, but it's also one and the same. And as as we um, wrap things up, we just ask, is there anything that you think, man, I want to say this, or this is really, really important to anyone who might be listening today? I think, you know, if you're, if you're talking about preventing sex trafficking or preventing this in your own children, it's really about educating your family. It's about educating other people on it um, because it's just shocking who does not know about the subject. Um, and with your kids, your kids with within their developmental stage, make sure that you're talking to them about, you know, online safety and who they're talking to and knowing who they're talking to kind of that old saying of stranger danger. Yeah. We don't, you know, we don't really say that anymore, but um, it's that idea of them knowing who to trust, who to talk to, I think, you know, even when my daughter was three years old, I made sure that I was saying, you know, you don't, you don't ever let anybody touch you in your private areas. They're yours. And just having those conversations, even from a very young age, that that is, that is yours and yours alone and nobody but your doctor and mommy or whoever, you know, should have any access to that. And so pediatricians are doing better with that. My daughter's pediatrician, when we went last time to get her wellness check, um, even told her that she went in there and said, you know, nobody's ever to touch you in your private parts and knowing that there are boundaries there. And that if someone tells them, don't tell anybody, that is the first indication of you tell an adult. Yeah, that's good. So making sure they're aware of those things, even from a very young age, but doing it in an appropriate manner to where you're not saying, oh, there's sex trafficking and, you know, this is happening. So making sure that it's developmentally appropriate, making sure that they are aware that there is danger lurking out there and um, educating your family. Stay If you're married, make sure you're on the same page with stuff. I cannot tell you. Make sure that you have talked these things through boundaries with technology. Yeah. Before you sit there and lay it out with your kids. That's important. That's good. Yeah. Well, Dr. Humphrey, I, we've really enjoyed this. I could really talk to you for probably another four or five days, probably picking your brain. <laughs> yeah, I thought we just barely scratched the surface. I may need a drink of water. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm on the edge of my seat. I'm like, man, teach, or, you know, just, I want to know how to parent my, my, my little teach Gen Z. That's right. But, so. <laughs> Well, we really, really appreciate you being on here with us, and we've learned a lot, and I think that a lot of our listeners will learn a lot as well, so we appreciate it, and maybe we'll get to have you on again at another time. 
Sure. Give me a subject. I'll talk about it. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Reclaiming Families. Check us out at reclaimingfamilies.org where you can find our latest podcasts, blogs, news, and events. We look forward to seeing you all next time.